You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So, um, I have gotten some comments back on the show uh-huh. and one thing that most people are noticing is the fact that I'm constantly bouncing my leg. Yeah. And this is evidently something of concern for them. Why are they concerned? Evidently it's a sign that I'm either like super nervous or you intimidate me. That second one's kind of funny. <laughs> right. Don't know how that would work. But no, I just wanted to set everyone's mind at ease. This is just me. I'm constantly moving somehow. Yeah, and I do too. It's just not as obvious most of the time because I'm wearing black pants. Yeah, well, and we don't sit still and talk. No, no, most of the time when we talk, we're on the phone and I'm either at work and you're doing something with the dogs or something. Yeah, or, you know, pacing around the park or what have you. So I'm just, I wanted everybody to know I'm, I'm okay. This is just... This is not like super nervous. This is not even, uh, I just, it, to sit here behind a microphone is just weird. It, it's a little different. It takes some getting used to, but. Well, and you know. It's not bad. I mean, there's worse things that you, you could do. Think, think about it though. That's how people used to talk on the phone, really. I mean, remove the headsets and put like the little, you know, the earpiece here and you're, hello, you know. This is why people didn't have long phone conversations. Well, that and it cost more. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just, for us to, to like be static, I mean, I think this is like a real work of discipline. So if I bounce around, y'all could just be glad that I don't have like a bouncy ball or a yo-yo that I'm doing at the same time. Well, I wouldn't allow one in here not with all the interface and, and the computers. you intimidating and... me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Which is funny because I, I am actually responsible for all the stitches you've ever had. Yeah. Uh, from injury. From injury, Yeah. He's, so, yeah. And, but I think, I think two or three of those were accidents. I think they were all accidents, but... I think two of the three. The, the, the third one might be in question. <laughs> or was that the first one? I, okay, so there was like... The... I mean, in chronological order, I think the first... But that was, that was the fence thing. Uh, you didn't let me climb down the fence. I was trying to climb down, and you told me I had to jump. I don't know if we can fully chalk that up as an accident. I was trying to empower you. To cut my foot wide open. Well, no, you weren't supposed to do that. Well, <laughs> that's what happened. Okay. So I was trying to climb down so that I wouldn't hurt myself. Yeah. Guess, guess what didn't happen? Yeah, you didn't climb down. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. So that was a trip to the emergency room, but I, I got in pretty good trouble for that one. Yeah. So. <laughs> her mom was uh, a little upset about her carpet on that one, too. Yeah, well, you were upset about the shirt on the third one? The third one, yeah. Yeah, that's when I accidentally hit you in the head with a garden hoe. Yeah, that one was an accident. Yeah. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was. <laughs> I, I, like, raised the garden hoe up to break up a chunk of dirt, and then you were under it somehow. I'm not even sure how that happened. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I've learned a lot since then. I taught you to pay attention. Right. The hard way. Yeah, so, yeah, but I'm glad that's over. 
So anyway, yeah. And the other one, just for people who might be curious, I was throwing a rock in the river and he came up behind me and I hit him and there was a broken beer bottle. So they're all checked off. Now your curiosity is appeased. Yep. So two out of three accidents. (laughs) But we still hang out. Yeah, so, but we're going to talk about retellings and how the Bible uses them today, mm-hmm. which is kind of the, the second filter that I, I use when I'm reading the Bible. Yeah. So, yeah, so how is it you came across the retellings? Is this something you just picked up on, or did you learn about it somewhere? No, actually, I, there's nothing that I do that's original. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Uh, this actually, uh, I started listening to a rabbi. Uh, he does uh, teaches at a college, you know, a Hebrew school in New York, and all of their lectures are online. And so it's uh, dresha.com or .org, and that's D-R-I-S-H-A for anybody who might want to look that up. Be in the show notes. Yeah. And, but, um, you know, one of the things I really like of looking at Jewish sources and Jewish teachers about the Old Testament is they spend all of their time really trying to understand how the Bible works together. Mm-hmm. And they, they look at things that we as Christians, we just don't see. We aren't looking for it. Right. Yeah, we, we didn't, when, we, when we read the Old Testament, we tend to read it you know, through the lens of the, the crucifixion. And, and to a degree, we should do that. But I think there's also a, a level that, that we assume so much of Christ into things that mm-hmm. we miss the obvious lessons and the obvious, uh, even some of just the basic history and basic narrative of what's going on at times. Well, I, I think we read it backwards. Uh, we we read Christ into it. We don't read Christ out of it. Yeah, that's fair. And so for us to go back to, to Jewish short sources and Jewish teachers, they aren't looking for Christ. They're just looking for God's activity in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so they've picked up on the fact that there's um, there are these retellings, and these retellings really, they just explode the stories. They, mm-hmm. they just take them apart at a way that we just, we don't get and I think we're pretty good at probably picking up on what are known as types, mm-hmm. where we, we see Jesus um, represented in King David, or we see Jesus represented in Moses. But that's not what they're looking for. Right. And I think we need to be very careful to impose Jesus back on text. Right. Real quick, I want to go over what a type is, because that's, that's a theological term that's used. Um, a type is any story that—what'd you just do? I dropped my notes. Okay. Anyway, the uh, I was making sure you didn't spill on my rug. Um, the uh, anyway, a type is a is a term that means uh, a, you know an Old Testament story where we can see uh, a foreshadowing of Christ, mm-hmm. and the term comes from actual typesetting. Um, you know, if you look on a on a paper, like if you were to if this was written, this was printed with the HP printer, but were it printed on a typewriter, um, you would say that. You have a type of uh, like the letter T. The T is actually the physical uh, piece that's on the typewriter. That is the T, but then on the paper is the type of the T. And so it's anything that's representative of Christ. It's kind of that image mm-hmm. of Christ and his his future work foreshadowed in the Old Testament. So that's that's one of our our sidebars where we we said we're going to try uh, when we use the theological terms to to define them. So hopefully and, that helps. It, and there are types in the Old Testament. I'm not negating that. And I think, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that needs to be very clear. I just think we need to be careful on how far we take it. So the, the Old Testament really uses two kinds of retelling. 
Uh, and this is a lot of fun because I don't know. If, have you seen the the picture? Um, there, there's a picture of an open Bible, and then there's like different. Whoops. See, I can't sit still. Different colored arcs going from one verse to another that says the Bible contradicts itself. Uh, no, I have not seen that. It's it's really interesting. I haven't had a chance to go through it. Um, of course, you know, I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. I, I think it often presents two opposing ideas to create tension and mm. to keep us in balance. But um, a well, lot and, and then sometimes it just reports what is. It's not necessarily as an, as an endorsement of a thing. Um, I think that's where some people get uh, mm -hmm. get a little confused. Yeah, and uh, one of the elements, too, that causes confusion are these retellings where it seems like you've got these two stories that are very similar, but their message is different. Right. And so we kind of hit on one of those in the divorce episode when we talked about Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Right. How it was a retelling of Genesis 3 because Genesis 3, Adam gets in trouble for listening to his wife. Uh-huh. And then... God tells Abraham to listen to his wife. Does Adam, well, I mean, he, I guess he gets in trouble for, for going along with his wife. Did he get in trouble for listening to his wife? Yeah. But I, he kinda, I think the verse did, but... actually says, let me find it so we can make sure we're on the right page. Um, I think it was more for disobeying God, not so much just for listening to his wife. Because you listen to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which, which I've commanded you, uh, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. I guess it's a little more succinct. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, so that seems to be contradictory. Right. But the point is, is God's actually subverting the, the, the principle that people pull out of that. Because I've known men who have said, well, Adam listened to Eve and look what it, what trouble it caused him. Sure. But nobody ever goes to Abraham and says, oh, well, God told him to listen to Abraham, uh, listen to Sarah, because she actually had a clue. Right. Well, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no one ever also talks about the fact that Adam wasn't deceived. Um, but that's, that's a whole other. Oh, uh, we, I think we ought to throw it in, because I actually think. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, you go for it. I, I got to, um, because I actually think being deceived is far less of a crime if you're going to rate things than deliberate rebellion. There's probably some truth in that. And so, yeah, so I'm kind of like, oh, quit telling me how bad Eve was because she was deceived. Let, let's talk about Adam's rebellion. We can't talk about one without talking about the other. Right. So let's, let's just be fair to all parties involved. So... So now that that would be, uh, like I said, an example of a subversive retelling. Yeah, that would where, be subversive. Where, uh, and you could also probably think of that as a corrective retelling. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, and I also I, I think this kind of falls along the lines of your um, uh, example of the guitar and the uh, guitar yeah. string. Yeah, where you have two ideas that. Okay, so I was listening to. I think when this occurred to me, I was thinking I was listening to Dr. Maxi Birch. Oh man, that's been almost ten years ago since I listened to that the first time. Um, Maxie Birch, History of Christianity podcast. You'll probably hear me reference that quite a bit because it's just a great resource. And he was talking about how oftentimes we have things in our faith that do seem contradictory, and they're not, but they're kind of paradoxical. And whenever we come across something that's paradoxical, we just have to understand that there's there's an appropriate time for different things and appropriate places for for various thoughts, and so. You, we have to live with the tension of our faith. And that kind of, you know, me being a musician, you know, I, I thought of it, you know, well, if you, 
take a guitar string and you only connect one end of it to the guitar, it just kind of flops around uselessly and makes an unintelligible noise. Can actually be quite dangerous. It could be dangerous, yeah. Um, to take the analogy further, um, you put an eye out with that thing. And so, um, but if you, you have to attach it to both ends of the guitar and then you have to wind the tension between those ends till, till the appropriate amount of tension is on the string. And that's the only time you're going to get any kind of music out of it. So that's, yeah. that was, that's where that came from. Yeah. It, well, and I think it works because we, we do have the stories in the Bible where it looks like God is 100% um, seeming to contradict himself, but I think it actually shows how God is relational and he's responding to the individual and the individual circumstance. Right. And it's not just some automated system that, oh, you cross the line, smack you. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I, that I do find with a lot of, uh, you see, use the word system, but there are, there are lots of times when we like to think like, here's the rules and we're going to force feed, like, like we're going to put all of human history through this cheese grater of this list of rules and just ruin it. I mean, it just kind of destroys the, the intricacies and the nuance. And it's like the, you know, so many, so many religious systematics, just I, the, the way I, phrases they, they so many of them I, I can't get into because they they lack the elegance of a real world system and and also of a god that's actually paying attention to what's going on well and you said elegance there that that just kind of reminds me a lot of people don't realize the bible really is elegant it, it there's a lot of artistry in how it was constructed mm. and i think when you begin to see that then you begin to appreciate new facets of what god's doing uh-huh. and so you begin to see not only how the Bible was crafted to present this revelation of what God is doing and how he partners with humanity, you also see how God is master of history and how he really is redeeming all things for his purpose, for his glory. And that's what the retellings really just, they affirm, and which is the second kind of retelling, is the affirmative retelling. And so a quick example of that would be... um, Joseph, we all know the story. Um, he has these dreams. He brags to his brothers. They sell him into slavery, winds up in Egypt, goes through all this junk, and then he winds up second in command of Egypt. So we have a Hebrew who is in a foreign nation working closely with the highest power of that nation to save his family. Mm-hmm. And so this is retold again in the book of Esther, which I think is really cool because we have a woman who is occupying the same kind of role as Joseph. And then we have Daniel, who, same thing with Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, also in the, in the highest positions of the land to save God's people, and it's for a purpose. My apologies if you just saw some skipping in the video. Um, that's because... I'm still fighting off the cold. Uh, we record a lot in the same day, so I still have the same cold that I had about an hour and a half ago. Um, I got over mine. You get yours. Yeah, and so uh, I'm trying to edit out some of the coughing, and so you don't see me just flailing around. Um, but sorry, I'm go ahead with what you're saying. No, I so no, I was talking about Joseph and Daniel and Esther and how they all kind of inhabit the same role, and I think it's really interesting that God chose not only to use two men, but He actually included a woman in there, but. I kind of really wasn't sold on this methodology until I was asked to teach the Gospel of Mark. Right. Well, actually, uh, before we get into that, I want to, one of the things I want to talk about is we were talking the other day about this, and we were talking about um, there's Adam, 
And then we talked also about uh, how, and we were talking about David and Solomon, and how Solomon was chosen to be the leader, represent Israel, and then he failed. And so David came. Saul, you mean? Saul was chosen. Saul, yes, Saul, yes, not Solomon. Saul was uh, chosen. And then he failed at his job and was replaced by David. And so now there, we do have this type of Adam and Christ. And so there are some places, I want to just kind of affirm that, that, that typical, typological, is that right? typological, typological uh, viewpoint, that it is there sometimes, but we have to be able to read the story for what it is first. And like you said, read Christ out of it instead of reading it onto stories where it's not. Right, because Christ is always going to be bigger than any type, and he's always going to be more. And that's really where what I wound up coming back to. Because when I started teaching in, um, I teach at a local college sometimes, and I was asked to teach the Gospel of Mark. And if you've read Mark, you know you jump right in with Mm -hmm. the baptism. I mean, he, he does not mess around. And I had just been doing some reading in the Talmud, and because um, that's the normal thing to do. Yeah. And so I had read just prior to this that the Jordan River was unfit for ritual immersion. Right. And I don't think people realize that ritual immersion was actually part of the Jewish faith. It was very much part of something they did. Right. And well, and a lot of times you see. Um... Well, you know, we think it's it's a Christian thing, but you see John the Baptist doing that before that. You also see there's uh, the Qumran community. Uh, we mentioned them in previous episodes. But the, one of the things that's interesting about Christian baptism versus like the Jewish baptism is a lot of times the Jewish baptism would actually happen after a time of physical discipline um, and being uh, unclean, being unclean, ritual purification. And so what would happen is after you went through this ritual purification process, you topped it off with baptism um, to say that you had, had purified your soul uh, to the point that you wanted to ritually purify your body to match what was going on with your soul. And Christianity uh, just comes along and turns that system right on over. And we actually start out um, when we become believers uh, going through the baptismal process. Well, and the other thing that's interesting is. Typically in Christian baptism, somebody baptizes somebody baptizes us. In Jewish baptism, you you immerse yourself, and there's usually somebody there to make sure that you go completely under, because it's still practiced today. Right. And there's mikvahs in every major city or um, area that has a large Jewish population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is still still being practiced. I don't think a lot of Christians realize that, but. I'm always looking at how Judaism and Christianity line up and where they where they play together and where they play off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so this bugged me. I mean, I I spent I probably spent two weeks working on this because I was trying to figure out how it all fit together. That's a surprisingly short amount of time. And in, in, in retrospect, I mean, based on some of the stuff we've been working on for years. I know, but I, I, I think sometimes we think that it should just be that quick. And it was probably a good reminder for me that there is something about actually studying again. Sure. So, but um, I, I began, I, I also happened to be listening at the same time to a podcast on Elijah and Elisha. 
Right. And so I, I began looking kind of back at what I knew about the Jordan River. And of course, their story comes to mind. And this is specifically when Elijah is getting ready to be taken up in the whirlwind and they cross the Jordan River. Mm -hmm. And when they get to the Jordan River, Elijah takes off his cloak and he hits it and the waters part. They cross on dry land. They get to the other side. Elijah is taken up. Elisha gets the coat and he comes back across and he hits the water again for dry land. And so that was playing in my mind. And that kind of, now I'm thinking of water parting and the Jordan River because there's another story in the Bible where the Jordan River parts. Right. And that's... That's Joshua um, when he enters the promised land. Mm-hmm. And so, and yeah. then water's parting before that would be the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just, so we, we see that recursion, recurring event. Yeah, but there's a problem here because there's no parting water at Jesus' baptism. Right, well... That's it's not an obvious one. That's when I get, well, you know the answer. I know the answer because you and I talked about this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's where I get stuck, though. I got completely, I literally just could not get past that because the, the stories tie together in other ways. Mm-hmm. Each one of them is a power shift. Right. Because we're going from John the Baptist in the wilderness to Jesus. Right. And, and Jesus even, you know, he acknowledges John the Baptist as a great prophet. Uh-huh. And so then we get to Elijah and Elisha. We're going from Elijah out in the wilderness. He's known as the wilderness prophet. Uh-huh. It's where we get the ravens for Raven Creek. Right. And because everything we do is by God's provision and nothing else. Right. And so that just, I'm like, okay, so we're going from Elijah to Elisha. And then we got a power shift at the Jordan River, which is kind of uh, not obvious, I think, to a lot of readers right off, but we're leaving Moses behind, and Joshua's becoming the leader of the nation. Right. And then at the Red Sea... We're leaving Pharaoh behind. We're leaving Pharaoh behind. So now we've got problems, because I still can't figure out how does the parting water fit in. Well, is this where you have to go even farther back? Well, I, I will, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I actually, before I got to that point, I, I was like, okay, what, what pieces can I put in play? And, and sometimes it really is when you're studying the Bible, don't overcomplicate it. Just go with what you know. <laughs> look, at, look at what's on the page. <laughs> yeah. And when we talked about that whole, whole conversation about how people don't read what's in front of them. Right. And, and you and I have talked about how we suffer from that. Sometimes we're just so familiar with the story. Sometimes our eyes will go across the words. But we just play in our heads the ones that we remember from the constant retelling that we've had since we were born, you know, because we're, we're very familiar with the stories, sometimes a little too familiar. Well, or we fill in with our cultural context. Um, we're the salt of the earth. Right. You know, our, the image that springs to mind for most people is a salt shaker. Right. That would not have been what people thought of when Jesus said that to them. So. Well, yeah, and salt, salt was a commodity, too, and... Um, I don't know how much I want to get into this, but uh, you know, you were telling me that Doctor Young was uh, talking about how back in the day you didn't you didn't have a salt grinder, you didn't have a shaker, you had like a, a lump of of rock that had some uh, some salt in it, 
along with other minerals. But generally, salt was the most water-soluble of all those. And mm-hmm. so if you wanted to salt something, you, you put this rock in there, and the salt would boil out into the water and salt whatever it was you had. Um, so then when it, then you know they say the salt's lost its, its savor, they would be talking about whatever leftover minerals there were out of that rock. But since they didn't have microscopes and didn't understand all of the elemental things that were there, it was all salt to them, that whole rock. Yeah, and then you just cast it out on the road because it, you know, it kind of helps keep the road in good shape. Makes good paving, evidently. So there's that. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, so what I knew about Jesus and John the Baptist is I know that in Matthew, Jesus specifically identifies John the Baptist as the Elijah for his day. Right. So I felt pretty confident that, yes, I'm making the right connection there. I know that Elijah is, like I said, the wilderness prophet. Right. Elisha is going to move out of the wilderness, and his ministry is actually going to take place more in the cities, huh. more in the towns. And he's, he's even going to have a woman who supports him. Jesus is known for the women that help support his ministry. Right. And that's actually another funny thing is that, uh, and that reminds me of in the New Testament, we, we hear a lot of people talk about, you know, Jesus was, you know, anti-women because he just traveled around and taught these 12 men. Well, there was there were women who traveled with him. They were affluent women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this idea that Jesus was, you know, constantly poor and needy. Now, you know, he did say he didn't have a place to rest his head. That means he didn't have a home. He didn't make the earth his home. But uh, he definitely had some people with some some great means. Uh, the one lady, I can't remember her name. Uh, she was like the uh, the husband. Junia? Was it Junia? It was the mm-hmm. husband of... Uh, Herod's Herod's steward. Yeah, yeah, husband of Herod's like estate manager. Yeah. Um, and so, and it says she provided for him from her. Oh, was uh, I can't remember the exact wording. You're basically, make me lie. Her lar- basically from her means, mm-hmm. um, her ample means. I can't remember exactly the 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 adjective they have on there, but yeah, I need to look. <laughs> I should look that up here in a minute. But yeah, so Jesus, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't just some, you know, uh, hippie with no provisions, wondering all the time where the next meal was going to come from. He he had some help. He, he did have some help, and that was one of the ways that, like I said, he, Elisha and and Jesus mirror each other. The other thing I know about Elisha is he's considered to be the prophet who worked the most miracles of the Old Testament, even more than Moses. And so that's pretty interesting. And the thing is, when you look at Elisha's... Um, at the miracles he's performed, he's healed the blind. I know, sorry, he did not heal the blind. Uh, there was no healing of the blind in the Old Testament, actually, um, for a little bit of trivia. Only the Messiah was going to heal the blind. That's cool. Yeah. And so um, he, he did things like at, he performed two resurrections. When he died... It's Joanna, the wife of... Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that's... Okay, one's the Roman version, one's the Greek version. That's the same name. Okay. Yeah. So, or that's one theory. The wife so, of Chazah. It's C H U Z A, Hoza. I think that's right, but I can just can you imagine calling your husband that? Okay, uh, I might go home and try it with Ty just to see what happens. Uh, well, it would help if he was if it was his name. I don't think it would be as awkward if it was actually his name. No, I think it'd still be awkward if it was actually his name. Yeah, you'd probably get used to it. <laughs> but uh, anyway. <laughs> 
When Elisha dies, I think this is probably the most fun story about Elisha. He had, he's dead. And yes, this is the most fun, fun story about him. There's a group of traveling Moabites who go by his grave. Oh, man. Yeah, go with, go tell his story. Go ahead. And they have a guy die, and they don't want to dig a new grave. And they're like, we'll just toss him in here with Elisha. And the Bible says as soon as it hit, his body hit Elisha's bones, he sprang back to life. Now, <laughs> what I think, okay, so we've totally misunderstood this story, I think, in the church. Is this where you're going with that? Keep going. Um, because we think, oh, man, there's such a powerful prophet that even his bones did this wonderful miracle. But when we look at it through this worldview of like foreigners coming into God's land and trying to bury their dead with God's prophets, God's saying, no, get off my lawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it, it really, it's like, no. Get off my lawn. You're, okay. Yeah, you're, you're not good enough to be buried to even put your dead with my prophets. I mean, that's... It's a huge statement. It's a... It's not just a cool trick. Yeah. And I think that's where we get lost in the miracles, is it's a cool trick. I mean, well, think about how some of the... Think about some of the miracles that would be just terrifying. Number one, your guy comes back from the dead. Number two, I mean, think of Elijah and the the sacrifice getting eaten up in in a pillar of fire from heaven... Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. some of the miracles were, were downright terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we haven't even touched on the 10 plagues. Well, yeah, that's I true. I mean, we, that's... Frogs and frogs and frogs everywhere. <laughs> Couple that's the, more frogs. I case. don't know why that's the one I always think of. I always think of the... Because it's funny. I mean, it, it's, it's terrifying, but it's funny. I, we have a ton of frogs out at the, at the park. Yeah. And the, I mean, the, the little spring frogs and uh-huh. they like stick to everything. And it's even like last week, Ty was um, getting everything winterized yeah. and he's bent down at this water hydrant and there's a frog like you can tell it's measuring the distance to see if it can jump on his face. And do you know how did he? He didn't. And I was so disappointed because <laughs> Ty would have jumped so high. <laughs> I couldn't have repeated what he said, and it would have been, it would have been a great story. Was but, it one of those that was like about the size of a dime? No, it was actually more the size of a silver dollar. Okay. Yeah, it, and so you would have got that nice little splat. I think I, which would be which would be worse? Uh, audience poll: big frog, small frog. Which one would be worse to jump on your face? So, I think that's we need to know. It's going okay. on a poll. It's going to go in the. Uh, it's going to go in the paddle club. Might go in the paddle. A uh, paddle store. Paddle sorry. store. So. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> what were we talking about? We were talking about the fact that this was driving me crazy that I couldn't figure out how this played. So I, I was backing up as so I went after I kind of lined out the, the, the Elisha Elijah connection works. Okay, guys. Yep. Yep. It works. And so I was looking at Joshua and the fact there is this power shift and we talked a little bit about the divine council worldview and we said we'd always point out when it came into play. Not always, but well, whenever it, whenever it seems important, whenever it crosses our mind, let's just be honest. That's probably more accurate. When we remember to, it's like the garbage. Yeah. Taking it out. When you remember, I remember when my spouse reminds me, I'm about the same. Yeah. So, so Joshua is, he's taken over from Moses. He is the general, warrior king 
I, I think that one of the ways that, or maybe not king, but leader, because um, he's not, there's no official king yet. But I, I think of Mel Gibson's Braveheart with this. I mean, it's kind of cliche. Yeah. But at it, this, is. it is. But that, that we don't have many just warrior figures in our society. Right. And this guy was, I mean, he was, you did not mess with him. Right. I mean, he, he killed the kings and he put their heads on stakes. Um, he, he was pretty, pretty ruthless. But the thing is, he is, he's specifically targeting a group of people called the Anakim. Uh-huh. Okay. And the Anakim, okay, this is where it gets fun. And this is where we're going to get feedback. Because the Anakim are descendants of the Nephilim. Uh-huh. And the Nephilim are from Genesis 6 and 4, six, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. They're the products of angels having children with women, human women, mm-hmm. and they're giants. And they have the Rephaim, and the Rephaim have the Anakim. And here's the fun part. These are wicked creatures. They, they are not human. They're not fully divine. They're somewhere in between. They are creatures that are known for the cannibalism and their cruelty. And they are not, um, this is where things get really crazy because they are where we get demons. In all the Old Testament, you'll notice there's never any explanation where demo- demons come from, where the demonic forces come from. The place where we find that is in Second Temple Lit, which we did reference in a previous uh, uh, episode on the Beatitudes. and. These are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, of the Rephaim, of the Anakim, who are now, they don't belong in heaven because they're not angelic. They don't belong on earth because they're not fully human. So they are out wreaking havoc. So Joshua is out to destroy them. Right. And, and I, I think I see where you're going with this. And I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this specific part, but this is where you're talking about. As, are you, this is where you're going with this. So we see this transfer of power. Joshua is the warrior king. He's going to go drive the, the Anakim out of the promised land. And then Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He drives out the demons who are yes. r- purported to be the disembodied yes. Anak- Anakim. And what's really interesting, if you look at the locations <laughs> at where Jesus performs, well, he doesn't perform exorcisms, sidebar. An exorcism <laughs> is a ritual to cast evil demons out. Right. Jesus never does a ritual. It, uh, yeah. He Jesus, just speaks word. He just says, uh, I'm the boss. Leave. Yeah. But if you look at the geography of where Jesus was, these are in some of the key battle places. It's uh, the Plateau of Bashan. And we may have to do an episode on Bashan sometime because that's really interesting. We might have to just do some biblical geography too. Yeah. I mean, that's... So yeah, this and this is where he's at. Uh, this is where Jesus cast out demons. This is where Joshua is fighting the Anakim. But Joshua never completely defeats them. And that's another important point because we're going to come back to that. Joshua never completely re- defeats them. Right. It's not until David that, that we're going to see the full defeat of the Anakim. Okay, so Elisha fits. Joshua fits. Moses. And uh-huh. I think Moses is probably the easiest one. He fits. We talked about some with the Beatitudes, how Jesus and Moses both go to mountains. They both bring the law to the people. Sure. They interpret it. They ask the people, are you going to accept it and be a part of this covenant community? So 
I think we can see this, but here's the, here's the fun part I thought I'd throw in here just to be a little, um, I don't know, a little bit more fun. I know I made a note. Oh, yes. Exodus 7.1. Notice what God says about Moses. Now, this is God talking. He says, see, I have made you like a God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And so I thought, man, that's pretty freaking cool because Moses is essentially being put on equal footing with Pharaoh, at least functionally for this moment, because Pharaoh was the embodied representative of Ra. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And so got Moses, not just being a man, not just being a prophet. But he is going to be like a god. Right, yeah, because you have him juxtaposed to Pharaoh, who is not just a king, but is, yeah, the divine embodiment. Yeah, but I still have this problem. Hey, why don't you remind us what the problem is? Because it's been a while since we've mentioned it. The, the problem is I don't have any parting water. All of these episodes, every single one of them has parting water. We got two at Jordan, one uh-huh. at the Red Sea. We got parting water, but we have power shifts. Mm-hmm. So this is whenever I, I decide to stop looking for parting water and actually look for power shifts. Right. And I realized like the most important power shift in all the Bible. Do you know what it is? I know you know what it is. Uh, I think I know what it is because I think we talked about this. If it's what I'm thinking is, is when God gave Adam dominion over the earth. When God gave Adam dominion. Yeah. Uh, and this is God saying, hey, you're going to be responsible for taking care of this creation. Th- this is the, par- the power shift that sets everything else in action. I- if you don't have this, you don't have the Bible. Well, and I, sh- I think I should rephrase, not gave dominion, but told Adam to go and take dominion. Yes. And then you still have that Joshua, uh, Moses, uh, and all those kinds of moving forward into adventure, into you know, conquering the world kind of ideas. Exactly. But then I looked a little further up the page and I felt like an idiot. And so I read Genesis 6, it's Genesis 1, verses 6 and 8. And let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And, let, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were over the expanse. And it was so. And God called the waters that were above the expanse Heaven. Yeah. I felt like such an idiot. Why? <laughs> Tell us why. <laughs> you, yeah. Because I spend so much time in Genesis anyway. And to not realize that the waters that, that, that parted at Jesus' baptism, that they were the heavens. And it literally means like they were torn open. They were, I mean, it's a violent act. It's, you know, I, this just occurred to me as you were talking about that, the, called the waters above the waters heaven. And so all these other places, we have waters on the ground opening up. Yeah. And then Jesus' baptism, and you probably already thought of this, we have the waters of heaven opening up. So it's like, okay, we're done. Passing it off down there. I'm taking it back over kind of thing. With yeah. Christ as my representative. Yeah. And, and, and also myself, you know, because he is God. But that's a... Do we, have, do we have four hours to go into the Trinity? I don't think you're going to cover it in that amount of time. 
But I mean, well, I mean, I guess part one of a thousand. But I, but that I, it, when it hit me, it's like, oh my gosh! So God's going to divide earthly waters for earthly beings that represent Him, and, and so this is not just you know, the heavens parting and oh look at God being so great. This really is a declaration of Christ's divinity. Yeah, and, and the audience would have gotten that. Yep, they would have understood because all of these stories that we worked our way back through would have been there. I mean, yeah. there, there there wouldn't have been any kind of. Oh, let me see. How does this work? They wouldn't have fought with it for two weeks. Yeah, they're not having to sing the song while they flip pages right. to figure out which book is. But and, but once you do that, okay. So here's the fun part. Oh. Genesis one. We got Adam. First Corinthians fifteen forty five through forty nine says, "Thus it was written: the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a life giving spirit." But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth a man of dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we were born in the image of the man of dust, so we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus is the second Adam. Right. So we've got that. Jesus identifies, as I said earlier, John the Baptist is Elijah. And again, we talked about how Jesus was, uh, Elisha was, worked more miracles than anybody else in the Old Testament. Right. Jesus not only works all the miracles that Elisha does, he works more with the one major exception, which is even greater, or I say, I shouldn't say exception. Elijah could resurrect a dead Moabite through the power of the bones. Right. But he couldn't resurrect himself. Right. And so Jesus supersedes that. And then Joshua, we talked about how he fought the Anakim. Joshua could, could defeat, or defeat most of, not even defeat all of the Anakim. Right, in the flesh. In the flesh. And Jesus is going to conquer these demonic beings in the spiritual realm. Wow, that's... Yeah. That's good. And he's a prophet like Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 18 said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Whoever will not listen to my words that I shall speak... In, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So Jesus is the prophet likened to Moses, the, the one that they are expecting. Sure. And that's actually the, the passage that Peter cites on Solomon's portico when he's preaching in Acts 3. And he, he directly quotes this. Because uh -huh. Peter, Peter got it. And just as everyone who listened to Moses survived Passover, those of us who listen to Jesus, we're going to survive and to pass into a new kingdom. Right. And so that's pretty amazing. And I, also, I think it's what I should point out, too, is when Peter taught this on Solomon's portico, that's part of the uh, court of the Gentiles. Right now, is that the second chapter of Acts? Third. Third. Yeah. Is that, is that Pentecost? Right after. Right after. Okay. Right after. And, and the thing is... In the court of Gentiles, this wasn't just Jews, uh -huh. and it was also the unclean could come there, and women could be there. Okay. And so now the message is being moved from the central part of the temple mm -hmm. out to where it's accessible to the entire world. And you know, this is the, this is the whole point. Um, I'm, looking, I'm looking at my notes to see what other points I have, because I'm almost done with everything I've got written down. But... I also, when I was going through this, the thing that jumped out, and I made a quick note of it, was um, 
Jesus and Moses were both considered to be divine. In the eyes of their enemies, the thing is, Moses was just considered to be divine by Pharaoh. Right. Jesus is divine. And so what I think this does for us, when we think about Jesus, it's kind of like this great big cloud of all things good and wonderful. Yeah. You, you, you hovers just a little bit this, this far over the earth. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's kind of overwhelming. I don't think we know how to grab hold of the individual pieces and parts and try to try to plug them into a narrative that we can begin to 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 picture. Right. It's just too much. But when I can look and say, okay, he is the prophet like Elijah. He is the general like Joshua. He's the prophet like Moses. He's the second Adam. Now I can start to kind of pick those threads apart grab hold of the significance of those individual little pieces and then reweave the picture uh-huh. and it makes it the life and the image and the, the significance of Jesus more important or, or not more important. More tangible. More tangible. Yeah. Yeah. Make, makes it makes, makes it seem like a character you can actually kind of uh, relate to. Yeah. Cause I, I think sometimes we focus, I, at least I feel like in my history of the church, we focus so much on his divinity that we often lose the humanity. And for me, that's, that's kind of the fascinating part for me is, is the fact that he was fully human. Yeah. Because I, you know, most human beings aren't that great. So. What? Yeah. Yeah. Most human beings leave something to be desired. I'd rather hang out with a dog. Yeah. Teach their own. Well, you aren't an animal person, so. I'm really not. I don't know what happened. I used to be. Yeah. You had kids. I wasn't when I had kids. Yeah. So. There's enough messes being made around this house right now. I'm telling you, get a dog. You'll never have to pick up another crumb. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, that that part would be nice. But, no, I I think that, for me, this is what drove home the, the, the importance of the retellings. Yeah. And when you start to see... Like I said, not just Jesus, but also it just showed me how in charge God is. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, you start weaving all that stuff together and it's like, it's like, are you getting it? Well, like every, with every repetition, it's like, did you, did you get it yet? Did you get it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's, here, let me, let me tell you this story this way. And it's, it's kind of, and one of the, one of the ways I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about the idea of subversive and affirming uh retellings it's almost like there's like almost like a dialogue going on of yes of there's this this goes on over here but then you know it it, it goes back and forth it's really uh i don't know if that makes sense at all no no because what you wind up doing it's almost like in order to understand story a you have to know story b uh-huh. and you really don't know story b unless you know story c and then story C has got nothing to do with story A unless you know story D. And then pretty soon you, you start doing this little, um, you, you know, I'm picturing one of those little uh, maps that you get from like a, 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 from like Six Flags or something like that, where it's got all the, the, the rides and oh, yeah, all yeah. the paths kind of loop back around to each other and, and they keep you going. And this is why Bible study can be fascinating because when you start looking for this, it's everywhere. Mm. All the stories relate back yeah, it's, to it's, each other. It's not just memorization. 
it's not, I mean, that's, I mean, nothing wrong with memorization. I mean, we need to to remember stuff, but yeah, when we really start seeing the patterns, um, that's, that's when it gets really interesting. Oh, and and you'll, you'll start to realize exactly what the more important themes are and what God's really emphasizing overall. And you begin to, to look for those. And so you, you start with story, like with one story and, and you wind up, I've literally in class lectures, I have taken one lecture. I remember going from Genesis, hitting almost every book in the Bible all the way to Revelation. Uh-huh. And it was not a stretch. And most of my students who are familiar with the Bible, they went, oh, yeah, I see the logical progression. So yeah. the more you know your Bible, the easier this is going to be. Absolutely. Uh, real quick, because I don't want to forget this. Oh, yeah. If this is something that interests you, this book is called... Um, Subversive Sequels in the Bible. It's Judy uh, Klitzner. Um, and it's really a great book. I'm going to see how close I can get. And we will have a link to this in the show yeah. notes as well, uh, to where you can probably purchase it on Amazon or something like that. Yeah. And um, again, written from a Jewish perspective, so they, they're not going to bring Jesus into it, but it's still good, solid information. I don't mm. agree with her 100%, but... It, she's worth reading and paying attention to because she's going to provoke some good thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, did you have anything else to add to that? No. Okay. I think that seems like a good spot to, to wrap up on. So, everyone, thank you for joining us. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, again, hit the subscribe button. If you liked it uh, a lot, write us a review on iTunes. Um, share with your friends. That probably helps us out more than anything Absolutely. else you can do is share, share, share. And it doesn't cost anything. Doesn't cost anything. Um, and we can be found at Raven Creek SC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. RavenCreeksc.com is our website, which can get you to all those places. I think I'll have to double check that. Yeah, I think you can. There's links it, at the bottom. Do I have it all set up? Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if I got that to that yet. It's been a busy uh, couple weeks. And Absolutely. again, uh, fighting a cold, so my brain's not quite all here. If you really, really liked us, um, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We appreciate uh, every bit of support we get, everything, uh, whether it's money or just, like I said, simply sharing with your friends. We'd rather have that than money. That's... Uh, or leave us an encouraging word on the Facebook page. That, yeah. That's great, too. Yeah, write we us love a note. Let those. us know if uh, what we're talking about hits home. Uh, let us know also if there's anything else you want to talk about. And until then, I guess next week is uh, Genesis 1 is polemic. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're going to go back to that because some people had some questions about that. Yep. And we didn't get to dive in. Yeah, we were, yeah we're going to open that up a little bit more. And then we had a, a really great listener question we're going to follow up on next week. And so uh, I guess until then, I uh, hope everyone has a good week and we'll see you later. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.